How wonderful to hear those testimonies. And I think it's appropriate what was set up here that they they are really miracles, aren't they? That is the miracle. I mean, we all read about the miracles in, in Scripture and we go, boy, if, if I could if I could see a miracle, I'd have more faith. Just look around. No, no, I mean, really, just turn your head and look around. There's a lot of miracles in this room. God changed people's hearts from stone to flesh. And that's that's where we're going today with the sermon. So if you'd please open your scriptures to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the final couple verses that... uh, that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about. Verses 33 through 37. All you uh, puzzle people can try and figure this one out. What do the, does the following things have in common? What do the following things have in common? Barometers, a tire pressure gauge, a seismograph, a Geiger counter, a tachometer, and an x-ray machine. What do they all have in common? What overlap do they have? Well, the overlap that they have is that they measure something that cannot be easily seen, right? They all measure something that's inside. These are, these are instruments that give tangible evidence to what we cannot readily see. So we need something outside that can let us know what's inside. Today, Jesus gives us a spiritual measuring device for us. An instrument that gives us tangible, physical evidence of what is really inside that we cannot see. And that is our words. Our words. So look with me, if you will, at chapter 12, starting in verse 33. God's word says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree will be known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me preach this word this morning. Not only help me preach it, Lord, but also do what you do in people's hearts, and that is prepare the ground for the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Here we have the last comments Jesus makes to the Pharisees after their accusation towards him of doing his miracles by the power of Satan. He has reasoned how this is illogical in verses 25 through 30, and you can look up there. He then moves on to warn them of the dangerous direction they're heading in, verses 31 and 32, and that's, that's what we looked at last week. This path towards the unforgivable sin, right? That of hardening their hearts to such a degree that repentance becomes impossible and no more light will be given. And now in these verses, Jesus wants to expose their heart. He wants to, he wants to help them see what they cannot see about themselves. And he does this through a, a rebuke. And it's a rebuke meant to awaken them to the state of their hearts. Mark Vrogop, pastor of College Park Church in Indiana, wrote this, Jesus' teaching on the unforgivable sin is meant to make us shudder. But this teaching on the heart is meant to make us sober, reflective, and repentant. That's Jesus' intention here. Just as when we sternly rebuke a brother or a sister over a sinful word or a sinful action where it's appropriate, Jesus wants to make the Pharisees think soberly about their words, to reflect honestly about who they are, and then finally repent deeply over their sin. And that's actually our outline this morning. And we're going to approach this outline by the three four statements they have, the three F-O-R statements that Jesus says here. And our first statement, Jesus wants us to think soberly about our words. Think soberly about our words. Look at with me at verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. If you're a Bible underliner, that's a good one to underline. There's our first four statement. Jesus here is using a horticultural metaphor to help us understand a really, really simple principle. And that is, what you say is telling. What you say is really telling. The words that come out of your mouth are not unimportant. There's no careless word, as he says back in in verse 36. There's no careless word. They disclose who you are. Your words disclose who you are. This is not the first time we've seen this principle used. Even in Matthew, you go back to chapter 3, verse 10, when John is talking to the Pharisees and he says the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit must be cut down and thrown into the fire. A little later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses this metaphor again. He says every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them, them being false teachers, by their fruit by what they say, by their words. The words you speak reveal what's really inside. That's the principle. 
That's the whole modern understanding behind what we call a Freudian slip, isn't it? You know, that psychological theory that, that what is inside will come out by the slips of the tongue. Words are revealing. And so with the Pharisees, he's telling them. So with you, Pharisees, your words are revealing. Jesus has just given them a ton of light, a ton of truth. Chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And they're there the whole time. They've heard the godly teaching. They've seen the miracles again and again that point to who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying here, and what they had said of him after seeing all that is that he is satanic. He's from Satan. He's doing this by the power of Satan. They've spoken untrue, evil words about him intentionally. They know. They've even begun to hatch a plan to kill him. And what Jesus is saying here is they might look good on the outside. All their holy robes, all their phylacteries, all the, all the hair growing. They might look good on the outside, but listen carefully to their words. Listen carefully, because what they're saying tells who they are. This is true for us, too. Words are the barometer of what's inside of us. Much to my own chagrin, you know, as I've been, as I've been sitting in this for a week, thinking about it, praying about it, they make visible what is unseen, what is hidden, what is inside. Angry words, angry inside. Bitter words, bitter inside. Envious words, envious inside. Prideful words, prideful inside. Impatient words, Impatient inside. Dismissive words. A dismissive person. Just like the Pharisees here. Evil words. He's saying about them. Evil inside. That's why Jesus can say in verse 34. You brood of vipers. You sons of the snake. You children of the father of lies, he'll say another time. How can you speak good when you are evil? The rhetorical question. You can't. Bad tree, bad fruit. So what he's doing here, first of all, is he's asking them to think soberly about your words. Think soberly about what you are saying. Because they're not careless words. They're not idle words. Because they show what's inside. Secondly, that leads us to what Jesus wants the Pharisees and us to do. And that is reflect honestly about who we are. Reflect honestly about who we are. Look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus goes on and says, For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. 
The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. There's our next four statement. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Jewish understanding of the heart was the seat of the mind, of the emotions, of the will. Okay? Author, Christian author Joseph Stoll put it this way, the heart is used in scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is the part of our being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. The place to which God turns. Isn't that true? That's where God is always turning, isn't it? God always turns us towards our hearts. He's not tur- he never turns to, to look at what you're doing. He's always getting at the heart, right? That's sometimes what's so uncomfortable about Scripture when we read. It's getting deeper, as I say, gets closer to the bone. He wants us to consider more than just behavior. He wants us to consider the idol behind the idol. Go deeper. He wants us to consider the seat of who we are. And so Jesus is turning the Pharisees to their own hearts and asking them to reflect honestly about who you are. If it's true that the words of their barometer, that that the words show what's inside, then start to reflect on what's inside. Again, we have to take note here. Jesus is being very merciful here, isn't he? This is a merciful action. It, it might sound like a rebuke, and indeed it is a rebuke. But this rebuke is merciful. Just as when a brother or sister comes to you and says, Listen, Blake, I, 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 I see you, you saying these things, and, and, and I don't think it lines up with scripture. Or Blake, you, you did this and 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 I want to be careful here, but is that what you're doing? Did I hear that right? Because if you did, I need to we need to sit down together. Jesus is saying, think about how you just blasphemed me, Pharisees. For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Pause and reflect, Pharisee, about what you just said about me. What does this tell you about who you are? I like how the NIV translates this. It says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I think about it this way. When you pour a soda or a beer too fast and the bubbles rise up and you know how you always look at it and you go, I just I put a little bit too much in and it flows over the side, right? And you pick it up and you wipe the side and there's this little little puddle that you wipe up, right? And, you, and then you put it down you look inside and you see there's a lot more soda inside. Just a little bit came over. That's the picture that Jesus is painting here of our words. 
that the little overflow of what we say in bitterness and anger, dismissiveness, impatience, there's an iceberg underneath that. And when we look inside, when we really look inside, we realize that. I was talking to Jacob this week. It's really wonderful having Jacob in the office. I don't know if you well, most of you know me. I, I like my door open and I'm always looking for, you know, a, a, an opportunity to get away from my books. This is probably terrible to say as a pastor and, and talk to people. So just having Jacob there, we're always talking. It's wonderful. And I was talking to him this week or maybe a couple weeks ago, and I was telling him, as I've grown older, the cracks in the dam are starting to leak. Does anybody know what I mean by that? It's really interesting. When I was younger, I was able to keep up this kind of Christian facade you know, that, that I'm, I'm a good Christian. But as I've grown older, those cracks are starting to leak. It's not as easy for me to keep my annoyances and my angers and my frustrations hidden. I don't know if anybody here can relate to this. If you're young and can relate, that is wisdom. Because it's both bad and good. It's both bad and good. It's bad in that I'm, I'm hurting people. That's terrible. You know, I'm constantly having, well, probably should apologize more to my wife, but I, I seem to be apologizing more and more to my wife as I grow older. Because the cracks are showing. And, and there's a good part of that, too. I can't fool myself as much as I used to. It used to be really easy to fool myself into thinking, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. The iceberg doesn't go as deep as I think it does. It's good in that it gives me an opportunity to repent because it's there. It's not here. It's tangible. I've hurt this person. It's good that I can be more honest with my innate depravity. Honest that I can be, uh, it's good that I can be honest about the, the struggle that Paul talks about in Romans 7 between the old man and the new man. I'm starting to see that the old man really is still there. It forces me to reflect more honestly than I used to about my own heart. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote this, What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within. So true. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that naturally we are totally depraved. Totally depraved. That is the consistent witness in scripture Psalm 51 puts it this way sinful from my mother's womb now that doesn't mean that we're evil all the time or that we're evil as 
as much as we could be. What it's describing there, the biblical doctrine of depravity, is that it's all tainted. There are no clean corners. There's no such thing as just pockets of sin. It's all there. Every thought, every decision, every motivation is, is in some way tainted. Think of it like a glass of water that I put in front of you and I say, you know, this is a clean glass of water, but I'm just going to put a drop of cyanide in there. Here you go. It's, it's totally tainted. It's not as tainted as much as it would be if I gave you a full glass of cyanide, of just cyanide, but it's tainted. The truth is our hearts do not just contain a few evil thoughts and feelings here and there, but that the little overflow we see in our words is the evidence that there's a lot more down below. We're far more sinful than we care to admit. It's a story of a young Englishman who was in Germany when the Nazis began to persecute the Jews in the streets in the years leading up to World War II. At first, he was sick of the sight. He couldn't stand to see it, and he ran down the alleys to get away from it. The next time, he felt that he could look, but he had to turn away after just a few short minutes because it sickened him. The third time... He was able to watch from a distance. And the fourth time, he was standing with the crowds. He was becoming, as he told himself, objective. And with this came the realization of his peril. That that it was not just part of his life. It was who he was. Sin is not part of us. It's who we are. That's what scripture says over and over again. The heart is deceitful of all things. It cannot be trusted. Jeremiah 17.9 Isaiah 53 tells us that we're all like sheep. Who are constantly wandering from the truth. That our words cannot be trusted. Psalm 5. That our thoughts are evil. Isaiah 59. That we prefer darkness instead of light. John 3. Psalm 140 tells us, interestingly, that the poison of vipers is on our lips. And Jesus picks up on this and says here, those poisonous words that are upon our lips are witness to what is inside. It's just the overflow. Mark Vrogop again writes this, Christianity is the only religion that properly answers the question, Where did that come from? Christianity, like no other faith, is deeply concerned about the heart. It focuses on the heart as the center and source of the whole inner life and offers to change us from the inside out through the work of Christ. See, every other religion on the face of the earth is an outside-in religion. Just do these things and that those good things will work their way in. And the Christian faith says, no. The source has to be dealt with. 
You have to deal with where it comes from. It's inside out. You cannot truly change your behavior. You need to change the source. You need a new heart. We didn't read it this morning, but in a, I had up there Ezekiel 36, 26, where God's word says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to change your behavior. He wants to change who you are. And that will in turn change your behavior. Inside out, not outside in. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about doing good, but being good. It's not about doing loving things. It's about being a loving person. In other words, goodness and love flows out of your heart. It'll be the overflow of your heart. Christianity is not about living a moral life. That's what the world thinks, doesn't it? That's how the world defines and looks at us and say, oh, they're just doing moral things. They're moral people. I hope when, you, when you're sharing Christ with, with people or you're, you're just in and among your friends and neighbors and loved ones and they don't understand what Christianity is, you're dispelling that. Because that's not what Christianity is. The big misnomer about the Christian faith is that they're moral people. Most believe Christianity is about moral morality. And as they as they look at us, they go, boy, you know, Kent can really white knuckle that, can he? He can really do that well. He must be really hard for him, but he, but he he's a moral guy. But how long can we keep that ruse up? Honestly, how, how long can you keep that up until, as I've coming to understand, the cracks in the dam begin to leak? I pray not too long. Reformer John Owen said this, However strong a castle may be, if a treacherous party resides inside, the castle cannot be kept safe. Traitors occupy our own hearts, ready to side with every temptation and to surrender to them all. We feel that, don't we, brothers and sisters? <laughs> because when we, the temptations are there all the time, we have a traitor inside, and that is our heart. That's what Christianity says. We have a traitor inside. And so... What God says is, I'll take that traitor out. I'll take the heart of stone out. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll change the source. I'll change who you are. And we've had three wonderful examples of that today. They're different people on the inside. How beautiful. How beautiful. 
That's what Jesus comes to offer. Not a new way of life, not a new person inside, but a new person inside. And he did that by coming and living this perfect life. This is how God has ordained that you get a new heart. It's by God's son coming and living a perfect life, a perfectly sinless life that you cannot do and I cannot do, that we pretend we can do, don't we? If our damn cement is thick enough, we think, we can do this. I can get through life and people can look at me and not see any cracks, and thus I'm good. But a true Christian knows the cement is thin and our words tell us what's inside. And Jesus came and he lived that perfect life actually desiring to obey God, taking pleasure in it. He refers to it as as his bread. He loved obeying the Lord. And he earned God's favor through that perfect life. He earned the eternal smile of God. And then he did something quite unexpected. After living that perfect life, he went to the cross and died. He didn't leave. He went to the cross. And he died a substitutionary death. He willingly died on our behalf. He allowed his perfectly pure heart to be filled with the sin in your and my heart. And he took the punishment for that sin and he absorbed all of God's wrath. There's no wrath left for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he died and paid the spiritual penalty for sin. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later. That's what we, we celebrated a couple weeks ago. Conquering sin, conquering the penalty of sin, which is death, by not staying dead, by rising from the dead and living again eternally. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. For our sake God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me reword that for us today to help it sink in. For our sake God filled Jesus' heart with sin that had no sin so that in him we might be given a new heart. That's what the gospel does when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. He takes out your heart of stone and puts it in Jesus' account and takes his heart of flesh, his perfect heart, puts it in you. You see, when you stop trusting in yourself and place your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did, that miracle happens. It actually happens. And you saw it today in Jeremy and in Lincoln and in Hannah. And you'll see it next week again and again. You are born again. That's why we use that language, brothers and sisters. We're born again. We have a new heart. We have a new being. We're different. We're transformed. 
And what happens is the overflow is different. Not all at once, not perfectly. But if you're truly regenerate, if the spirit resides in you, if you have a new heart, you will begin to see change. And the change, most obviously, will be in your words. Again, progressively, slowly, the sanctification process. Don't you want to be on that road? Don't you want a change, a transformation? Don't you want a new heart? Well, then the way to get it is to be deeply repentant about your sin. Because that's where Jesus takes us lastly. Repent deeply over your sin. Verse 36 and 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There's the last four statement. The point here is not to make us stuttering Christians. A lot of people read this and they go, I'm going to be paralyzed in, in speaking. God doesn't want us to be stuttering Christians, questioning every word we say. Nor is it to say that our words are the basis for our salvation or condemnation. If you say more kind words than harsh words. No, that's not what he's saying here. What Jesus is doing here is helping us feel the full weight of our words, thus our hearts. He's kind of putting a little weight on you. He wants us to see that there's a final reckoning for our hearts. There will become a day of judgment. A man goes out and plants a dozen fruit trees in his yard. After a few years, the trees he planted start producing great fruit. Apples, pears, cherries, peaches. After a few more years, this owner is very happy with most of his trees. But there are two trees that are causing him trouble. One tree had never produced anything but leaves. The other tree produced loads of pears, but they were bitter and hard. The man has done everything possible to help these trees. He's pruned them. He's fertilized them. He's watered them. He's kept the pests off them. He's even tried various products to help them. But the one tree continues to produce nothing, and the other tree continues to produce bad fruit. the man to do a man who remembers the reason he planted those trees would simply recognize they were bad trees and he would eventually tear them out you see there comes a time when the planter tears out bad trees friends there's there, there will come a time when you will stand before God. And when you do, the condition of your heart is what he's going to be looking at. Not your words. The condition of your heart. The words of the barometer. He's looking at your heart. 
Right? That's what First Samuel 16 tells us, right? The Lord does not look at things the man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what God is interested in. And when that day comes, you don't need better words. You need a new heart. You need a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. And that only comes through repentance. You remember when Peter was asked on that day of Pentecost, you know, what was happening, and he explained what was happening. And and in that sermon, he told these people, and, and by the context, were to understand that some of these people were in the crowd that yelled, crucify him, crucify him. Some of these people were at the cross who mocked him. Some of these people were at the cross who, who teased Christ sarcastically. And he calls them on it right there, the day of Pentecost. He says, you men put to death Jesus who was innocent. And you know what happened on the day of Pentecost is, is God did a miracle. He actually, it says, circumcised their hearts. He, he cut their hearts. He, he made them, this crowd, realize that they had sinned in yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And you know, they asked, they said, Peter, you're right. What do I do? You remember Peter? He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. Do you want a new heart? Repent. Christian, when you say the overflow that is angry, bitter, resentful, dismissive, impatient, repent. Non-Christian unbeliever, if you're on the live stream or if you're here, if you want a new heart, repent. If you're feeling that weight of Jesus' words, that someday, someday, there's real truth here, that you'll stand before God, the judge and creator of everything. And you won't have any words to say. Because they'll all be said. And your heart will be what your heart, you've made your heart to be. If you want a new heart, repent. And your sins will be forgiven. And as it says in Ezekiel, he will take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy through Jesus Christ, who willingly had his heart filled up and frozen and made into stone so that we could have a heart of flesh, so that we can stand before you on the day of judgment without a worry. In Jesus' name. Please stand with me as we sing, God our Father, we adore thee.